Welcome to The Long Run. This is a podcast for biotech adventurers. I'm your host, Luke Timmerman. Today's guests are Harlan and Chad Robbins. They are brothers and co-founders of Seattle-based Adaptive Biotechnologies. Chad is the CEO and Harlan is the head of innovation. Harlan is also a faculty member at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center just down the street from Adaptive. Adaptive is one of biotech's unicorns, private companies worth more than a billion dollars. It's not exactly a household name, but senior people in pharma R&D are quite familiar. The company has a niche in the sequencing of T cells and B cells of the adaptive immune system. The sections of genetic code in these immune cells aren't fixed at birth. The code for making T cell receptors and antibodies from these cells rearranges or adapts to protect us from the various environmental stimuli that we encounter at different points in life. And by providing a glimpse into this changing genetic code, Adaptive gives the scientific world a whole new set of data and a whole new perspective, really, on cancer, autoimmunity, and infectious disease. Adaptive has had a very busy few months. Last year, it struck a partnership with Microsoft Research to create a map that systematically shows, at large scale, how millions of specific antigens match up with corresponding T-cell receptors. That partnership leaned heavily on Microsoft's cloud computing infrastructure and machine learning capabilities. The ultimate goal is a universal blood-based diagnostic. Last fall, it won FDA approval for its first Clonaseq diagnostic test, which is designed to detect trace amounts of cancer lingering in the bone marrow of patients who've gotten treatment for multiple myeloma and acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Most recently, Adaptive struck a big partnership with Genentech, which paid $300 million upfront for the right to use Adaptive's antigen and T-cell mapping capabilities to help it make T-cell therapies for cancer, both of the off-the-shelf and personalized variety. Now, before we get started, a word of apology. Longtime listeners of The Long Run may recall I tried to interview these guys last spring, but ended up airing an episode with poor sound quality. That was my fault. And making matters worse, I didn't realize the error until it was too late to fix. I had left the country to go climb Mount Everest. I want to apologize to you, the listeners, and to Chad and Harlan. Fortunately, they graciously agreed to sit for this re-recording in the first week of February. The silver lining is that a lot of new things have happened in the last year, so there's plenty of reason to speak again. Now, join me and Chad and Harlan Robbins on the long run. Welcome to the long run, Harlan Robbins, Chad Robbins. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Luke. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Okay, so uh, we're here at Adaptive Biotechnologies in Seattle. You guys are an immune sequencing or immune profiling company, uh, what have you. 
And uh, this is, as you guys know, I've been here covering your company since the very beginning, about 10 years ago. Uh, really interesting uh, technology that you've got. Uh, it reminds me uh, a lot of uh, my book research, as you know, on Lee Hood. So for folks who are unfamiliar, like way back in his early career, starting in the 1960s, the big question in immunology was, how in the world does our immune system generate this almost infinite number of antibodies? against the practically infinite number of pathogens we encounter when we have a small, finite number of genes. We don't have one gene for making every single antibody. They didn't know how many genes there were at that time, uh, but they knew that it was a small number. Uh, and it animated his career for like 20 years to try to figure out uh, what happened. And to make a long story short, it was uh, a rearrangement of genes that occurs. Uh, in, in a slogan, it's two genes make the one protein. They, they swap DNA. And what you guys have here is a next-gen sequencing-enabled platform for determining those rearrangements that occur in all of us in response to our environmental stimuli. That genome is not fixed for the T cells, the B cells of our adaptive immune response. Just like the name, it adapts to our, our circumstances. So this is, this is a really cool application and I, I'm excited to uh, hear you guys describe it in more detail. Looking forward to doing so. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now Adaptive Biotechnologies, um, how did this thing, well, before we get into the company, you guys are brothers. Let's talk just a little bit about like your, your, your personal uh, background. Where did you guys uh, grow up? Uh, we grew up just north of Chicago. And this is Harlan. You're the older one, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, north of Chicago. And what did your parents do for a living? Uh, Dad was a lawyer, and Mom was uh, first a teacher and then a principal at a, at a elementary school. So uh, do you have any other siblings? Nope. It's just us. How much older are you, Harlan, than Chad? Uh, just a bit over a year. One year, one month, one week, and two days. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be precise about this. Okay, so uh, what, what was your guys' relationship like growing up? Did, uh, did you guys, like, uh, fight? Um, sometimes. I mean, we, were, we either loved each other or hated each other. I mean, we were typical brothers. I, you know, our relationship isn't kind of that far afield from what it is today in the sense that I was always kind of more outgoing and, kind of the social one, um, and and really coordinated a lot of our social activities. We were friends, and we, even though we had our separate friends, we had a lot of overlapping friends and interactivities. So we did a lot of stuff together, and, um, you know, Harlan was, uh, I would say, more more introverted. We were, we were both athletes. He was, he was frankly, a better athlete, um, but we always supported each other. Uh, but he was on a lot of the, uh, uh, you know, the... the Kind of math club and debate club and did a, did a lot of that. Uh, those did all the cool kids. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, so Harlan, were you always the the science and math nerd coming up? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I would say that's a fair statement. Uh huh. Chad being the social one, so he gets to become the CEO later in life. That's right. <laughs> okay, so um, you guys like like brothers do, you, you go your separate paths. You just you figure out what you want to do. Har, uh, Harlan, you study math and physics mm -hmm. in a big way. Harvard, UC Berkeley. 
uh, and you ended up, this, you got your, through graduate school around the time of the Human Genome Project wrapping up. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. In 2001, I ended grad school. Graduated, I guess. So how did this, uh, how did you end up gravitating to biology? Um, there was a set of, in, in my, my field, which was theoretical physics, there was a set of quite senior people who, who, had, who had started, and I'm not even sure why, had started dabbling in, 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 in the computational side of, of biology and giving lectures even within, I, I had an appointment for a while at Caltech, and there was one of the big gurus in, in black hole physics had, had, was presenting a series of lectures on, on um on what at the time was systems biology or whatever that early early days of it, and I got excited about it. And I think the the field of the field of physics that I was in was pretty detached from from the the actual physical world. It was pure math at the time, and I wanted to um, I guess bring my what I was going to do for the rest of my life back to something a, a little more tangible um, and. So I uh, moved into, uh, started studying computational biology. It's exciting because, you know, I've been, at the time, I'd been studying different fields my whole life, and, and your, your learning curve on a totally new field is, is so much faster, right? Everything, every page you read, you're not, like, looking for the one little snippet of new information. The entire page is new information. So it's a, it's, um, a, a really exciting way to... To, to jump in. And you're following in that grand tradition of theoretical physicists who move into biology. I mean, all the way back to, you know, uh, Zillard and uh, Delbrook and all these guys started in physics and uh, yeah. saw an interesting set of problems that they could, even though the, the law, there aren't laws of biology in quite the same way as there are in physics. At least we haven't discovered them yet. <laughs> there might be. <laughs> we just don't know what they are. But yes, absolutely. I think, I think, uh, there's been um, some, and you know, the funny thing is, when you're in physics, you don't know that until till later on, and you start. You know, I, I audited a bunch of classes at Princeton in the from the graduate school, and and um, you'd start reading these papers, and it turns out that you know a good portion of the ones that made a huge impact were physicists prior, and so it, which I thought was also kind of inspiring. It at least gives you the confidence that hey, even though I didn't kind of grow up with this field, I can I can still um, contribute significantly. So when did you end up coming to Fred Hutch, a place that's all in on biology? Like, to take in a physicist, come here and, and go to work on biology. Yeah, so um, I was at, in, at the Institute for Advanced Study in Princeton doing a postdoc, and I, to be honest, I, you know, I didn't know what Fred Hutch was, but the uh, Princeton had just hired um, a professor um, named, named Leonid Krugliak, who's, you know, was also used to be a physicist and who I happen to know. And he had come from Fred Hutch and was just told me it was a great place to work and everything else. And they were very early on in the curve and sort of forward thinking about putting together a real computational biology group. And so I came out to, to interview and loved it. He's now at UCLA, right? He moved, yeah. That's yeah. right, correct, yeah. yeah. But he was at Princeton for a lot of years. He's Howard Hughes. And, yeah. So what year was this that you came to Fred Hodge? 2006. So 2006. Now, meantime, Chad, you uh, went on your path. You're uh, becoming a business person. You did some investment banking, right, for a while? Yeah, I started out after undergrad doing investment banking. Um, I was actually doing 
high-tech mergers and acquisition kind of as the internet was getting up and off the ground. So we were looking at things like Lycos and Excite and uh, online uh, city search and things of that nature. Um, you, and then, did you ever check out Hotbot? And all yeah, all, all those, all those <laughs> things all that the, you... <laughs> the free Googles that never became Google. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Everyone became a millionaire for like 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, and uh, then I just d- decided uh, when the dot-com boom crashed, I, I went back to Wharton for business school, um, came out, and always had a really strong interest in uh, real estate and tan- tangible stuff that you build. Um, so I went to a... Uh, uh, a public home builder, um, Pulte Homes, and then I took that experience and kind of parlayed that into a uh, starting a, a, a hedge fund and uh, where we were investing in different asset classes, not just within real estate, but some opportunistic investing as well. And so that took us all the way up till kind of 2009 when I when I got the call from Harlan. So he's out here in Seattle. You're still on the East Coast. Um, how? What what was uh, animating your early research here at Fred Hutch? I mean, I'm guessing 2006 to 2009, I, I was covering this stuff then. This was when DNA sequencing was starting to head off that, that Moore's Law curve, getting faster and cheaper and opening the door to lots of different applications. You looked at this and said, what, what kinds of things can we begin to ask and answer now? Yeah, so the Fred Hutch... so. Um had just bought, uh, I think in 2006, we bought a Selexa sequencing machine, which was now Illumina's entire business. But but prior to this, this Illumina wasn't even in this field, right? Um, and it was uh, a total change in scale of what we could do on research dollars, right, in terms of producing data. And, and um, sort of, I guess, the early in 2007, um, I had started working with a, a clinical immunologist who was who had some older data trying to look at at, at T cell receptors um, and it just became clear that we now had the technology to to really understand to, to look at these at a totally different scale and so we kind of put together a small team to go go after this um, uh, topic and and Produced some a pretty massive amount of data even from from day one. So by by early two thousand eight, we were producing data that was would dwarfed all the other data in this field combined over the last you know thirty years. Each each every day we ran this machine, we'd produce more data by far than than existed in the whole the whole universe of of, of different people's. Uh, databases, et cetera. Do you remember any of the specific um, samples and questions? Like were these samples from autoimmune patients where you could then go look back and say, okay, what um, what, what appears to be amiss here in their T-cell receptors? So I, I think, yeah, I mean, we started out, the first question we were asking was a, was a, a, a blood disorder called a myelodysplastic syndrome. Um, and it was pretty clear that that even before, even with this old technology that we're using, that we could we could separate out the patients who were really doing had poor prognosis from good prognosis. Um, you couldn't just look at their T cells because they would have they were dysregulated, so you'd have these huge clonal expansions. But but you didn't know they were clonal expansions, right? Because you couldn't see the difference between um, a bunch of normal looking cells and one that was highly expanded. But as soon as you could see the the, the marker on it, the T cell receptor, you could see these huge sequences expanded. So so there's you could really take a look for the first time at what the difference is between 
um, a, a non-functioning immune system and a functioning immune system. And this is interesting because with myelodysplastic syndrome, it's commonly referred to as a pre-leukemia type thing. It often kind of lurks below what we can see with imaging, yeah. right? You can't just take an MRI and see, oh, there's a tumor there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you can actually look at that, um, you know, at a blood sample for those what you call clonal expansions. I mean, that's cancer. That's a given cell that's proliferating out of control. It, that kind of like stands up like a middle finger looking at you on a graph, yeah. Versus other cells in that, yeah. So certainly that's that that that's been the case, and that was um, and that was our first clinical application, as you know, and what's formed our present. We've now taken that all the way through, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute. But um, to our to our first real clinical product that's been FDA approved, and now it's getting reimbursed from Medicare. Etc. Well, we'll it's, get there. Yeah, we'll get there in a minute. But but it's yes, that's it's it's that is the very um, the the low hanging fruit application clinically of this of this of this area, and that's kind of we started there quite early because it was it was in some sense sort of an obvious application, which is hey, if you can if you can see clonal expansions out of control, nothing's nothing represents that more than cancer, and so we can tag cancer, and so that's that's kind of. We, how we started um, on the clinical side here. But this starts with an academic project, and suddenly you're getting interesting results. You're publishing yeah. this stuff. What, what next? Do you, do you start getting other people to Fred Hutch asking for favors? Like, hey, can you, can you yeah. say, sequence my samples? Or, or you know, other collaborators around the country, hey, can you sequence my samples? Yeah, very much so. So, so this is so 2008. Uh, so by, by 2008, early 2008, we were starting to get... Um, uh, significant data. And then um, when I would go to conferences and present this, and even internally at the Hutch where I'd present the data, we were starting, I was getting requests from many, many different groups um, to, if they could, if we could sequence their samples. Um, and at the time we had, I think we had finally bought a second Selexa machine. This is still, it's still Selexa, remind you. And, and, um, and we had, we had maxed out the sequencing capacity at Fred Hutch. And so, so we weren't. This is this is when when we decided, um, when I started thinking about potentially uh, starting a company, which is I, we couldn't. There was a lot of lot of demand for using this, and and more so in fields that I knew nothing about. Um, and so we realized that that um, that we couldn't service this and ask these questions with the capacity that we had. So. So um, we needed to do it under a different structure. Yeah, you can only do so much when you're like doing favors for academic collaborators. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so yeah. This yeah. is a good sign that there's a potential business here. That's right. So, yeah. so you decide to call up your brother, the the Wharton MBA guy. Yes, and, that's and, right. And, and what do you say? I. God, do you remember? Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I don't remember. I, I I remember he called me up and Must said, have been "Super convincing." <laughs> <laughs> well, let's give a little bit of a backdrop here. Is I knew he wasn't crying wolf. You know, I had been calling him year after year saying, hey, man, you got to figure something out. I'm, I'm a capitalist. We got to make some money off your big brain, right? <laughs> literally. And he, he had literally no interest in, in starting a business. Um, and my, my, going back to my parents, they were very much into, um, into science and into, into academia and supporting um, you know, whatever pursuit that he, you know, he decided to endeavor on. And, and you know, it wasn't about economics, right? Knowledge for, for knowledge. It was for knowledge for knowledge's sake. And, and thank God we had, you know, um, that support and he had that support. So I knew 
when he wanted to start a business, I knew it was real uh, and I knew it was a potentially massive opportunity, but I didn't really know anything about it. Um, literally, if you get the call saying, hey, I, I figured out how to sequence T-cell receptors at very high throughput and do you, do you want to start a business? And I'm, I'm, so my first you know, reaction really? was like, yeah, I'm in, right? Because <laughs> I've been waiting for the call, and I'm like, I believe you. I, I had full faith in him that what he was saying was credible. I just didn't know what the heck he was talking about. So you know when you start following links in Wikipedia, well, the immune system is the most complex biological system out there. Right, so if you start following things on the immune system, so I literally, I think I stayed up three days straight um, doing a crash course. Uh, now it's been a ten-year crash course um, in in, uh, in the immune system and its applications. Because right, it's not only the underlying science and technology, but applies to every single, almost every disease state. Because most diseases are immune mediated, and also applies to how patients are treated. A lot of the modalities. So anyway, I get the call. Uh, and my wife is, you know, great and supportive and a partner, partner to me in every aspect. And, and we decided to, uh, to take the plunge and move to Seattle. She'd never been to Seattle. I had only been to Seattle maybe once in my life to visit, visit Harlan. So we decided, um, you know, and truth be told, we had, I think we had just finished a remodel on our new house like three days before uh, and in Chicago. And we decided, you know, let's, let's, go, let's go start a biotech business. And mind you... This right. is the financial crisis right. Right. in, the, My, in right. the thick of it, right? right? Yeah, so th thank you like, for, for pointing that out. Mind you, we're in 2009. You got two brothers who never started a biotech business before. So it wasn't like we could just go out to venture capitalists and call, you know, Arch or Kleiner Perkins or whoever and say, hey, let, let, let's go. We're ready to go. Um, so... Which, which I think led to... You're both under 40, too. No oh. track record as entrepreneurs. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, and I think that I think that actually, that naivete, I, I, you know, had I known what I know now, I mean, it would have been crazy to, 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 to start this business. <laughs> but but frank, frankly, but, but I, I think that actually helped us um, because, you know, the first step for us was to say, hey, you know, we're going to bring in some, some money here from friends and family. We don't know how far it's going to get us. We don't know, by the way, if we're ever going to be able to raise more money. So let's think about how we can generate revenue. Um, and we had this really powerful tool. Um, so the first step was to say, hey, Harlan, you're getting a lot of calls and inquiries. Why don't we figure out how to get this tool into the hands of principal investigators and then We'll talk about pharma in a minute. Of folks who are using it, it doesn't matter what type of research they're doing, what disease states, whether it be cancer, infectious diseases, uh, autoimmune disorders. It's, let's, let's now give them a way to have a much greater v view or depth and specificity into whatever it is that they're studying. So okay. that's how we started. So this was 2009. This is right around when you guys came to my attention, and I found some like SEC Reg D obscure filing. You raised like four or five million dollars. Yeah, for first money in. Yeah. And this is friends and family. This yes. is, as you say, no big venture capital firm Correct. putting its good housekeeping stamp of approval on you. Right. Um, so you, you get some money. And and what you decide to buy one of these selects machines and set up your so, your, your chemistry yeah. lab and, and and bioinformatics and all this stuff to process these samples from your academic collaborators, people who heard you give these talks, Harlan, at scientific conferences, and wanted their samples processed for a fee. That's exactly right. And only now Illumina had bought Selexa, so the the 
the kind of genomic revolution was was really starting in full swing. Um, but yeah, that's exactly right. We were we we uh, opened up. We subleased a, a place over you know on the, on the other side of Amazon here, um, and I'm not even sure Amazon was there at the time. Um, yeah, Amazon hadn't even moved over there in downtown Seattle yet, and so we subleased a. a from another biotech company who was actually subleasing from a bigger group there. So it was sort of, we were in their like little corner. The real estate was cheap then. <laughs> the real estate was cheap, especially, yeah, and we were like stuffed in some some weird corner uh, of the of the space. We put together our own desks. I mean, yeah. literally, like, yeah. I mean, we were like yeah. physically. Uh, <laughs> we, had, we had six people, including Chad and I, and we would, you know, we were... You'd be taking out the trash, you know, like whatever it was, you'd have to do it. It doesn't. There was no like. There's no version of, uh, of of having a real infrastructure to start with. So yeah, we we just and we started. But, but you were to put to your point, Chad. You're making re- revenue from early on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was wasn't wasn't huge, but it was. I would say burn offsetting. I mean, it, it it definitely allowed us to extend our runway, um, and that is how we. How we got started with making some revenue. Well, I do want to point out, and this is kind of interesting because I had to go back and and uh, you, we'll talk about kind of the evolution from research to diagnostics to therapeutics. Um, but we we're an immune-driven medicine company now. But if you go back to that initial offering memorandum in 2009, that was our vision. Even though we didn't have the capital to prosecute all those opportunities, our vision was absolutely that the immune system was key to be able to diagnose patients and ultimately to be able to treat patients. And if we could tap into that information, we could create clinical products for diagnostics and therapeutics. And so that, that evolution, you know, although it took time and capital and te- technological advances and innovation to get there, it was the initial, you know, again, I don't know, it was probably more his vision and me buying into it because I didn't probably know enough about it then. But that, that you know, most people's business plan change a lot over time. Ours actually hasn't. But th- this was well before the immuno-oncology revolution, the P- the checkpoint inhibitors, cell therapies, all that stuff. Like nobody really believed yeah, in that. Yeah. That was like fringe uh, science. So so we yeah. actually, I mean, I think in some sense we got lucky in that regard because that that revolution coincided. It, almost exactly time-wise as we were, I mean, when we wrote the business plan, it was before all that, for sure. But but then when our business started, it's, you know, 2009, I think 2010 was the, was that, that transition was the big year with both cellular therapy with like Carl June's work and then, and then, um, uh, yeah, and CTLA-4 got approved and the, and the anti-PD-1 drugs were also starting to really show their promise. So I think, and we were playing front and center because no one was doing immunology in humans. The tools weren't for the, everybody's doing immunology in mice, and and now all of a sudden we had a tool where you could probe the human immune system in a, in a way you hadn't been able to see before. So so we were you know, you know Carl June was giving talks in front of ten thousand people and talking about adaptive biotechnologies, sort of like, you know. That's a big number of people to hear about a company that had six people. And Illumina was going gangbusters with yeah. the, the better, faster, cheaper yeah. uh, sequencing. Um, you guys have that machine, and you're, you're able to handle more samples and, and process them. Um, the phone starts ringing. You guys start thinking about not expanding beyond that kind of early adopter, uh, academic collaborator type crowd to... To first diagnostics and then therapeutics, but let 
let, so how, how did this thing evolve? Yeah, well, those, well, the, well, I, I, the, the first evolution was to move beyond principal investigators in academia into pharma, right? Uh-huh. And we got extremely lucky with a, a, a key hire, uh, who's now our president, Julie Rubenstein. She had, back, she had come out of Pfizer, J&J, and as what typically happens in pharma, a lot of people move around a lot. And so she, she knew people in every pharma company, and she was also <coughs> a huge believer uh, in immunotherapy. So she saw our technology, wound up um, kind of vetting it and saying and bringing it to all these different pharma companies, came on in 2011, just started helping us out. Um, and that really got us into kind of the biopharma world. And that was really the, the, the first step where we, of validation. Uh, and then uh, from a clinical diagnostic perspective, um, Actually, you, you, you can tell the story, and then I'll, I'll jump in. Yeah, so we had, we had identified this application, as, we, as you were saying before, kind of the, I would say, the lowest hanging fruit application is just tracking uh, it, cancer's clonal. If it happens to be a B cell or T cell that becomes cancerous, then, then whatever rearranged receptor sequence is in that cell becomes part of all of the cancer cells from, from that person. So it has its own... So these cancers have an, their own barcode tag that we just happen to have the technology to, to read that tag. So, so we identified this very early on as, as, a, as an application that would be great clinically, and we partnered with um, the group um, at uh, Brent Woods Lab at the Seattle Cancer Care uh, Alliance and University of Washington um, to, to really do a, a clinical study, um, and this was... And we were compared to the state of the art at the time, which was flow cytometry. And his is probably he probably has the premier lab in the in the country and that does flow cytometry for for looking at this particular clinical purpose. Now, which, flow cytometry for those unfamiliar, it's cell counting, and it's quite sensitive for these leukemias and lymphomas. Right, you yeah. can detect rare cells in the blood, but you guys were going at this a different way by looking at that underlying sequence information. Yes, and the cell counting method was, you know, on the scale from from flow cytometry about you could see one cancer cell in ten thousand cells, and our technology was readily seeing one cell in a million. So you can imagine that there's a huge amount of how how much cancer you have. We could see a just a much more sensitive test, and it turns out the clinical utility of seeing that much lower cancer burden. Is is kind of vital for really understanding the um, the the prognosis of cancer, whether your drug was effective, all of the things that underlying ac- activities, right? The key question after treatment, well, before treatment and after treatment, well, after treatment especially, did we get all the cancer? Did we get well, and, cancer? and previously, we could look at that in a pretty sensitive way with flow cytometry. You could detect one cancer cell out of ten thousand. Yeah, but. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a way to look much, much deeper to find those rare cells that are just hanging around. And, and lo and behold, those, those tend to be the ones that end up multiplying later and leading to recurrence. Correct. Yeah. And so that's exactly right. And so we're, and, you know, so we did a, a bunch of head to head studies between uh, flow cytometry and, and, and our technology, which became Clonaseq now, is what we called it. Um, and it just was in a different 
different league in terms of uh, sensitivity, and and then we had all the the clinical results showing that it, it was much much better prognosis for outcome, et cetera. And um, we have published a paper quite er, quite early on. I think it was two thousand ten or eleven. I can't remember exactly the the date. Um, so we had been working on this since almost the get-go. So in the same time, we're kind of building this research business. And as Chad was saying, we hired Julie, who was integrating us into pharma. We were also developing our uh, evidence for our clinical pathway. And probably part of what Chad was saying that our naivete was helpful here, which is that we didn't, we weren't, we didn't have the infrastructure to step on the gas for the, for the clinical application. We didn't know what building a diagnostic was at the time, et cetera. And because of that, we had years of, of just data generation. So we had, by the time we ended up coming close to having a, talking to the FDA or payers, we had 50 papers showing exact, everyone having exactly the same result that how much more powerful our technology was, how much it correlated with outcomes. So we had this, this huge swath of evidence that, that in, in the field had changed by this People point. outside the company singing your praises, yeah. co- coining this term, minimal residual disease. Yeah. Well, and, minimal yeah. residual disease had, has, been, has been around for you know quite some time. Um, but this was a, a, a way to do minimal residual disease um, that was much more sensitive and, and much more accurate. Um, and MRD was only uh, thought to be applicable or have clinical utility in certain disease states. But that's also because you couldn't measure it in uh, both sensitively, accurately, and you couldn't standardize it. So one of the issues that you have with flow cytometry is not just the sensitivity that Harlan talked about, it's that you were getting a different answer in every lab. They do something different at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and Dana-Farber and exactly, UCSF. Exactly. Yeah. And there's been all these efforts to standardize flow cytometry. They've been ineffective because there's a lot of art, uh, you know, uh, in addition to the science, whereas sequencing is truly quantitative. I mean, it's the simplest application of our technology. We're simply counting cancer cells, right? And so you, the first application is ab- absolutely right. It's after, after you get the drug or therapeutic intervention is, did we get it? You know? And then the second is, is it coming back? And can we tell before a patient goes into a doctor's office and presents with symptoms, what we say clinical presentation, can we tell at a molecular level? whether that we can count the pre-identified cancer clone and actually look at that and say, is this coming back? And we can track that. We know that if you're doing this on a semi-regular basis, you can see that cancer clone initially, and you can see it rising if that cancer is coming back. Or the other thing is, conversely, if you're looking at clinical utility, it's you don't want to over-treat a patient or prophylactically treat. So if that cancer clone is gone, you don't want to transplant that patient or give them a maintenance regimen that might have side effects if you know that it's gone. If you enjoy listening to these interviews with biotech newsmakers, you'll love reading Timmerman Report. You can subscribe to Timmerman Report for $149 a year per person. Discounts are available for companies and universities with multiple readers. More than 65 pharma companies and universities have gotten group licenses, which come at a discount. For more information, write to luke at timmermanreport.com. The questions of what to do with this information clinically 
Um, those take time to like thoroughly vet in prospective studies, but that's the kind of thing that gets the imaginations going of both the clinical community and the pharmaceutical community. Once you, you've, you've got the baseline ability to measure and quantitate something that you couldn't measure before, that, that definitely was interesting. Um, but you're, you're, um, by this time, so the, the company is starting to, you're starting to see lots of possibilities as a business. I mean, a lot of things you can do now <laughs> with this. Uh, how did you choose what areas to, to focus on? First, like diagnostics with Clonaseq, and, and then now this later work with neoantigen T-cell therapies. You can take it from a science uh, perspective. I'll take, it, I'll take the question more from a uh, practical and capital perspective. So you want to start from a science perspective? Yeah, I, I, sure. So from, the, from a, the scientific perspective, the, the really special thing about sequencing um, T and B cell repertoires is that you not only get a lot of data that's quantitative, but each piece of data has this, the sequence of, the, of that receptor. And because the way that, 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 that our immune system interacts with pathogens is just a biophysical interaction, right? You have this receptor that binds to that pathogen or this receptor that binds to a cancer cell. Because it's all biophysical, all of the information about how that binding works is contained in the sequence itself. And so if we could decode that and be able to say, okay, we can read the sequences, no problem. We invented this tool that can do it at scale. We can read a million sequences from different cells in your blood, no problem. Not rapidly, not too expensive, et cetera. If we could then take each of those sequences and map those to what their antigens were, we'd know about the full state of your immune system, not just presently, but because you have your immune system has memory, we could see your, your entire history of what, of what pathogens you've had, whether you have cancer, whether you have an autoimmune reaction. Everything is sitting, and all, all that information is sitting in your adaptive immune system, and your adaptive immune system is, is better at diagnosing disease than any, than any synthetic or, or, or laboratory test we're ever going to make. So our kind of fundamental goal from the get-go wasn't to, to kind of create diagnostics. It's to, it's to just read the, the world's best diagnostic that's already there, which is your own immune system. And same with therapeutics. I mean, yes, your immune system isn't perfect and you do get disease, but it's really good. I mean, you know how many times you get um, challenged by pathogens or have cancerous looking, weird looking cells that your immune system eliminates. I mean, your immune system is an amazing therapeutic machine too. And it does it all in the same way. And the targeting molecules it uses to identify both for diagnostic, to identify that foreign entity for both diagnostic as well as therapeutic targeting is exactly the same thing. It's these T and B cell receptor sequences. So we were kind of sitting on the and we still are. We're sitting on this this kind of goldmine of of of, of clinical uh, information, and and so our goal has always been: how do we get to 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 be able to better understand the connection between what those sequences are and what their antigens are? And so that's really shaped the direction that we've gone um, as a company, both with our deal with Microsoft a year ago, which is just a large scale 
um, a large-scale project to incorporate machine learning um, and large-scale data generation to be able to help us connect those T cells to their receptors to, to what they're binding to and then lead to a whole set of diagnostics down the road. And then with our Genentech deal, where, where we're going to use those T cell receptors as the targeting molecules for, for um, cellular therapy. Okay, let's talk about those in a second. But Chad, you know, as a business person, you know, you, you get a more and more of this data coming in. Uh, pretty soon, you know, you're raising lots of money now um, from venture capital, crossovers, a whole bunch of people. Still haven't gone public, uh, but... Now you've got more people helping you think about setting these priorities. What, what are you going to do? Because you can do lots of things right. with this, right. but you can't do everything. Right. <laughs> uh, how, do you, how do you set those priorities? Yeah, so uh, one is as we innovated from a technological perspective, that led to more of what we could do. So that was one thing that Harlan just talked about. And the other is having the right capital coming in then let us to really do a, a prioritization. And we had to be smart about, you know, how we were going to allocate those capital, that capital. So first, we had a research business that was starting to generate some significant revenue. Um, and then we were making a large investment in our first diagnostic. And I guess those of you who aren't familiar with kind of diagnostics, there's this big chasm um, where you're spending a lot of money to generate data um, uh, to ultimately get reimbursed so that your that your test is is paid for by insurance companies and that that takes a while to get there and we we took the interim step of going uh, to to the to the FDA to get approval to to, to market this diagnostic um, so that's Clonaseq and that's now uh, yeah. next gen sequencing enabled diagnostic approved to look at minimal residual disease for, I believe, multiple myeloma and acute lymphoblastic leukemia? Yes, those are the first two indications that it's approved by the FDA for. Uh, the life cycle plan is to have that uh, approved for many more indications and also to be able to move from the bone marrow to the peripheral blood so that it's a much less invasive monitoring tests going forward that you can do on a, a, a you know, very frequent basis. Well, and for business yeah. students out there, that, that's part of the beauty of what you're all doing here is that the immune system by its nature is adaptive. It changes over time in response to therapy, in response to antibiotics, or vaccines, whatever you encounter. So it, like, there's, there's actual real information to be gleaned from repeat uh, sampling yeah. and analysis. Yeah, so, yeah that's true. So, um, it's, it's also systemic, so you, you should be able to pick it up and... In different areas of the body, but I mean that that that's a great point. I mean, I, you know, the the revolution in, in genomics started with you know sequencing the human genome, and I think we there was a lot of disappointment over the la over you know the ten years following that because your static human genome, what you're born with, doesn't determine. It's not. It's not deterministic about what diseases you're going. It is in a few cases, but mostly it's not. Right? It's not. It's not going to tell you whether you're going to you're going to get colon cancer. It's not going to tell you whether you're going to get. Um, probably not going to tell you you're going to get autoimmune disease. It's not going to tell you whether you're going to get a virus. So, the 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 beauty of the immune system, as you're saying, is that it's it's dynamic and adapts to and fights the whatever your present disease or past disease states were. So it's not giving information about what you could, what you had a probability of getting, it's saying you have this disease or you had this disease. I mean, that's a totally different animal. And so the, the, it's A, a lot more, the utility is in a totally different league. And B, from a business perspective, 
monitoring serially is 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 a, a lot better business model than than one and done. You just made a good case against genetic determinism. <laughs> you know what? I, I don't know if I really answered your question and, and putting 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 a little bit more thought into it. We we had a massive benefit in that we were the we were the powerful new tool. So we could really punch above our weight. So the collaboration opportunities we were getting, you know, both by principal investigators um, that wanted to collaborate with Harlan on research paper, also by biopharma companies that said, hey, can you be involved in this study or can we work together? That gave us a lot of looks and it gave us a lot of knowledge and learning and insight to be able to then really craft what our strategy was. So and we'll get into the Genentech deal in a, in a minute, but having the opportunity to be involved, you know, from day one with with Carl June and 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 all the companies doing both cell therapy and checkpoint inhibitors, and and getting all the kind of really this this this, this learning enabled us to have a different lens. And I mean, I, this whole concept of convergence and and Harlan being able to really see what's going on throughout the field and then trying to tie it together that I think has dictated what our what our, really our, our, our product strategy is in moving from research, what diagnostics we're choosing, and then where are we going to enter kind of therapeutics? Because we did have a lot of choices and we're trying to be very uh, targeted uh, about what we think has the greatest chance of efficacy. Well, let's talk about therapeutics because this was part of, I believe you did like a $195 million or $200 million financing in 2015. And I think that was part of that deal. The investors and you, the board came around this idea that you're going to put some of that to work in creating a therapeutics business. Uh, neoantigen T-cell receptor based, like personalized. You're going to gather some of this yeah. personalized information off of samples. Yeah, we weren't there yet. Um, we, we, we weren't there yet. When we raised the money, we had a technological innovation that could connect receptors to antigens and, and, and that could pair the chains of a receptor together. So we had two t key technological innovations. Um, and we started uh, back in kind of 2015, uh, early 2016, putting together a pipeline to be really best in class at characterizing T cell receptors. Um, and so we, we, we knew that uh, you, if you look at all the, the CAR-T therapies that were developed, that they were working in blood cancers. And we thought that if you were going to attack solid tumors and intracellular pathogens, that you had to do it from sequencing uh, and understanding the T-cell receptors. So Harlan and team kind of put together a characterization of T-cell receptors, but we weren't yet at the truly personalized. I'll let, I'll let kind of Harlan jump into the neoantigen personalized strategy. But that's really how it started. We had some technology. We raised some of the money that we raised in that round was to develop that technology. We didn't, we had, we, didn't, we kind of had a mousetrap, but we didn't know exactly what, what mice we were going to go catch yet. Yeah, I mean, we took a, we, we took a bet that, that and we, you know, being at Fred Hutch, you know, I was sitting front and center and seeing how well cellular therapy was working. But we were also seeing the limitations, which is that the limitations are that work great on, on they aren't, a, these cellular therapies aren't therapies against cancer. They're therapies against cell types. If you, and so you had to eliminate, they basically were just eliminating entire cell type. And in the case of leukemias for most, most or leukemia and lymphomas, that cell type was B cells. And most, you can live without your B cells. 
that's not true of, of most other cell types. You're not going to treat lung cancer by just eliminating lung cells, right? So there was real limitations on what, on what CART therapies could do. Well, for a long time, there was only one antigen, CD19. That, that, you know, could yep. be realistically and safely uh, targeted with these T-cell therapies. That's right. And even now, the expansion is still the B-cell specific. I mean, BCMA and, and, and CD20, they're still basically B-cell specific antigens, right? So, so you're only eliminating B-cells mm-hmm. <laughs> or subclass of B-cells, whereas there's nothing cancer specific. And, and that's not uh, expe- extendable to most cancers. So, so I think we took the bet that, that what you could make cancer specific were using T-cell receptors in your T-cells, right? They're very specific for just those antigens found on the tumor and not on healthy That's right. tissue. That's right. And it could really separate out the difference. And so that was the bet we took. And we said, okay, we're really good at, 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 at identifying and characterizing T-cell receptors. So we can, so think of us as kind of the world's first monoclonal antibody company, but for T-cell receptors instead of B-cell receptors. Of course, at the time, there was, unlike monoclonal antibodies, where there's, you know, gazillion drug opportunities, there was nothing on T-cells, using T-cell receptors at the time. So, so we just put together the, the, the equivalent version of that factory um, with our technology, and then, at, then the field, I think, started to move towards now that they had made other developments in the cellular therapy field it's become clear that 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 putting t cell receptors into into cellular therapy is is the the kind of the way of the future in cancer and so fortunately for us we had we had um already created the that that capability and so then we had started exploring opportunities of how we could merge, and we weren't going to form a full cellular therapy company because the logistics were ridiculous so from, from our point of view. We just didn't have that capability, so we were going to partner on it. And so we started searching around for, and some of them found us, and some of them we found. And after doing a lot of exploration, we settled on um, what we think is an outstanding partner, which is Genentech. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's. I think there's two pieces here. I think the Microsoft deal came first, Microsoft the, deal came where first. you were creating that antigen map yes. the, that maps those specific antigens to the specific T cell receptors. Correct. And they they looked at this and saw uh, a really interesting uh, set of, of questions. They could use, I mean, they could put their cloud computing horsepower to work both for storing and analyzing the, the data. They got some artificial intelligence, uh, a lot of smart people over at Microsoft Research, and you guys have this proprietary platform that can generate data that nobody else has. Um, so that, and, and you went to, the idea, like the, the grand vision, as I recall it, was a universal blood-based diagnostic test. You could take blood and look at the immune repertoire, this this these combinations of antigens mapped to T cells and say, huh, there looks like you got a, a touch of prostate cancer we might want to keep an eye on or emerging um, over time. Or, um, I mean, even simple stuff that's encoded in there, like, you know, whether you had chicken pox as a kid. Yeah. There's yeah. just a ton of information in there which you can capture in a simple blood draw. That that kind of fired the imagination yeah. at Microsoft. You guys have been working on this for for a year, right? Mm-hmm. Ha, 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 wh- before we get to Genentech, what, what has happened there in the fir- your first year of your collaboration with Microsoft? Yeah, so um, first of all, working with a, a company um, that has the, 
the computing infrastructure and power that Microsoft is. It's, I mean, I'm a computational biologist, and you know, I write my own crappy code that I've been doing for you. And just seeing the speed and 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 power that this has is incredible to watch. But but so yeah, so we've made a ton of progress in the first in the in the first year. I mean, we we put together the the full all the nuts and bolts of the infrastructure for for data transfer, data processing. Um, automated uh, um, methods for for uh, applying all the machine learning technology and at the same time we've been building out this uh, um, the high throughput lab that we use that so Microsoft invested money that we were using to build to to really scale up our our, our data production and so we just finished that um, uh, in January. Um, and that's going to come online in the next couple months to really start cranking out data at a much higher rate. So all of this has been happening, and at the same time, they're, they're, um, the, the scientists at, uh, at um, Microsoft working with our team has really been um, honing in on, on finding appropriate signals, um, and um, we're probably not ready to throw that out there yet, but but it's coming soon. We're making okay, progress. Okay, so it sounds Real like you're, you're industrializing your process. Industrializing that- the process, and we're starting to um, go after very specific disease states, because in order to get a universal diagnostic for disease with the goal that ultimately your doctor can see what your immune system is seeing and diagnose based on that information, and, and think of it as like a screen of a biological system, like an X-ray or MRI, but this is just a screen of your immune system to to um, allow your doctor to diagnose disease. In order to to get to that point, you have to show that it works in certain disease states. So think of this as a pipeline of early detection diagnostics. So we've identified uh, six different disease states that we're going after: um, two two different cancers, uh, two autoimmune disorders, and in in a couple of infectious diseases. And we've gone and identified well-annotated clinical data sets um, to be able to then show early uh, early indications that this is working in those disease states. And so the idea is to start building on top of the, those kind of one by one by one to the point where we can just prove, hey, if you can do it in these two, three, four, seven, you can we believe that you can do it in, in, in all of them. Yeah, you have to start right. somewhere and, right. and work one by one. Uh, but are these cases where you've got sample access to samples and connected it to like a good electronic health record with the outcome? Yes. So the nice thing about about the way our um, assay works, our, our fundamental or like bread and butter assays, it works on genomic DNA, which means that that it's pretty hard to screw up DNA. It's super stable, so we can use um, samples that have been collected are in repositories already. So, so we have um, already have in house from the three diseases we've really started with were were for various reasons uh, celiac, um, type one diabetes, and, and and ovarian cancer. And we already have significant sample sets in house from all of them um, from different groups across the world that have been. Um, collecting these samples for, for uh, as part of clinical studies. You also looked at healthy volunteers too, right? Oh yeah, so we have we also put in, that's the other thing we've done this year is we put in this pipeline where we're, we're getting in uh, thousands of healthy volunteers um, uh, where we're just at a regular cadence just sequencing healthy volunteers. So, so, is, so-called healthy. We, we try to define <laughs> Right, yeah, right? so that's, that's the funny thing is, is sort of there's a whole bunch of disease states that we study specifically in healthy people. So you have that weird question of, you know, I mean, 
probably scaring your listeners a little bit, but all of you have tons of different pathogens in you all the time. <laughs> Everyone. I know. Yeah. I came yeah. back from Mount Everest last year with some GI sensitivities, <laughs> and I thought, I'm not exactly the same as when I left. <laughs> um, okay, so this sounds like this is still early days. Like, you've got to like marshal the evidence, industrialize your process before you can even really begin to like start selling more diagnostic tests layered on top of what you have with clonacy which is now FDA approved and you're like beating the drum out there with payers trying to get them to, to accept your evidence and all, all that. Um, now, but, but you did talk about this Genentech deal and this is important. This is a big deal. He brought in $300 million up front. You know, there's a lot of back-end economics on this. You guys are providing essential information for them to do what they do, which is, you know, clinical trials, manufacturing uh, of, of personalized but, but both autologous and allogeneic, like they, they want a couple different options of cell therapies, if, if I read the press release correctly. Um, what, what, um, how, how is this collaboration going to work? Yeah, so, um, so as, as um, I think the world is probably aware, this is kind of Roche Genentech's first foray into cell therapy too, which I think... From, from our point of view, gives us a huge advantage, right? Starting now when we, we've seen what everybody else has done and we, 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 we have a much better sense of, of what's going to work and what's not. And so from, from our point of view, um, we're going to be going through this together for, with, with Genentech. So we're, we're deciding on, well, there's two parts to this deal. The first is what we're calling our, our library technology technology where, where we're going to um, find T-cell receptors against antigens that are in enough people that, that, that we can just sort of make those T-cell receptors and they can put them into the therapy, sort of a, from our view, our part of it's off the shelf. It's not, it's not allogeneic, and the cells aren't allogeneic, but the, but the receptors are. In other words, we're going to, and so we're just, think of it as just a licensing them, the receptors to them. So, but we're choosing what receptors, how we're going to um, get this into people, et cetera, what we're going to, what cell types we're going to use, all sorts of things. Um, and then the second part of this is, is um, kind of the big, the big crazy idea, which is the, the truly personalized version. And that's, and that's in real time from each patient, we're going to find the T cell receptors in that patient that are specific for, for that patient's cancer. And we're going to manufacture, well, Genentech, we're going to identify the T cell receptors and Genentech's going to manufacture in real time the therapy for that person. So we're going to, we're going to give this is real personalized medicine. None of that. Oh, we're gonna do a better job of selecting which drug to use. This is we're making the drug for you. Well, and you're not the only one that's trying to do this. I mean, Neon Therapeutics, Gritstone. There's there's others too uh, that are trying to find those the specific mm -hmm. neoantigens mm -hmm. um, in, in cancer patients and make personalized therapies. And they gotta you know capture the information first at where the patient gets treated by their doctor. Information goes into a cloud server somewhere, like comes out at the you know, a manufacturing facility, they make you your custom therapy. This is this is what you're talking about, right? It is. The big difference is that in those cases are uh, in the is is those are vaccines. So what they're doing is identifying in, in theory the the antigens that are that are um, inducing an, an immune response, and then they're putting those antigens in in these patients, hoping that those patients will induce an immune response to the 
to the cancer. Um, that's a hard road to slog. Um, it's, uh, it, I think, could be incredibly cool if that, if that ends up being effective. We're doing something um, different than that, which is that we're, we're not just identifying, we're not identifying the, the antigens, we're identifying the T-cell receptors that are bind to those antigens, and then we're putting those T-cell receptors into the, into the uh, T-cells, and so we're generating the therapy, not, not the vaccine. So we're not trying to get someone's system to in, form an immune response, we're actually giving the immune response to that person as a, as a full-scale therapy. Okay. So it's, it's sort of, it, it's sort of, um, we're just using a much, much bigger hammer, basically. Think of it that way, right? We're not, we're, not, we're not asking the immune system to generate an immune response. We're, we're giving it this whopping immune response that's specifically targeted to the cancer. So those cells that Genentech will be manufacturing will be loaded with those T-cell, those specific T-cell Correct. receptors yeah. come from your platform. That's exactly right. Think of it, we're actually part of the supply chain. Yeah. 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 Um, when uh, will this be ready for clinical trials? Um, we're we're setting up. Our, so we just started this with Genentech, as you know. We're, we're um, we had to uh, clear HSR, and and that just happened um, know, a week ago or something. So so we're we're um, have our first meeting. Uh, we have a full scale meeting on. On Monday, they're bringing a whole team up here, and we're, we have a full couple-day um, kickoff meeting, and we're going to start establishing the clinical plan. So we don't we don't know the answer to that yet, um, and also I don't know what we're allowed to say when. So we're <laughs> a I don't know the answer, and B when I do, I don't know what we're allowed to say. Okay. So. <laughs> I, 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 well, what I can tell you is, as Harlan um, defined, it's a two-part strategy. Um, so before we get to the personalized version, we've been working on characterizing these T-cell receptors or certain T-cell receptors against certain antigens uh, for the last three or four years. So we have data packages that we can move much more rapidly into the clinic with um, as, 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 as you know, step one before we get to the, the truly personalized. The truly personalized is going to require us to build manufacturing facilities around the world. But the off-the-shelf, I mean, it's thought that a subset of patients with certain malignancies, that, that will be fine for. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not for everybody. Not for everybody. Okay. Before we wrap up, a couple business questions for you, Chad. Um, you got research customers. You got diagnostic applications. You got therapeutics. I mean, there's a lot going on here, and focus naturally must be a question that comes up a lot. Have you ever thought about like spinning off separate companies or organizing things differently than under one roof? Have we ever thought about it? Yes, uh, and we've come to the conclusion that right now that doesn't make sense for us. Um, Right now, it's about putting the right leadership in place uh, and then having that right kind of shared infrastructure layer that supports the different opportunities that we're going after. Um, and so a lot of it we've spent on org design um, and allocation of capital uh, and then also setting up the infrastructure. So um, Why keep it all under one roof? Because um, I think there's a a lot of learning that goes on that can inform other areas of the business right now. And I also think there's um, a, 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 we've got a world-class R&D team, bioinformatics team, and other teams that are really, really unique. 
um, that are shared across these uh, different platforms. So obviously, once you get to kind of commercial state and some of the infrastructure regarding regulatory uh, reimbursement, uh, distribution, sales, all of those are, are, you know, specific to those different, you know, business opportunities. But there's a shared infrastructure layer right now that's extremely powerful. You need the uh, information yeah. flowing around the organization yeah, of, to help each other. Exactly. Think of it like we've talked about it as kind of the Bell Labs, right? And so we have this incubation engine of new products. And that's not to say that we have set things up that um, there could be opportunities to, to look at um, spinning things off or f- forming joint ventures. Um, that also has its own set of complications. Um, and so when we kind of look at this holistically, at least right now, we think keeping the that this is a platform, and going back to that 2009 business plan, it's always been thought of as a platform. Um, and now that vision is with the Genentech deal, that therapeutic opportunity completes the platform or completes the extension of the platform that says the immune system applies therapeutically. And that it, what's important to note is our deal with Genentech is it's we're exclusive in cellular therapy and cancer. But your immune system can apply to many, many different diseases and many different modalities that we're also exploring. And to your point, in some, at some point in the future, there may be opportunities um, to segregate uh, you know, businesses uh, and put the right leadership in, in place and or the right structure in place that you can monetize those in a different way. But you know, the interesting thing is we've always been told, too, from an, well, you either got to be a research company or a diagnostics company or a therapeutic company, different sets of expertise, different sets of investors who back these opportunities. We actually don't think of it that way. We think we actually only, we, there's a lot of applications, but we only do one thing and we do the immune system. And, and our goal is to do the immune system better than anyone out there. Is this partly why you've chosen to stay private? Um. Yeah, I mean, for, for, yeah, for now, I mean, we, we, we continually assess what the opportunities are to best, uh, to, to best kind of prosecute the different opportunities we, we, go, we go after. Um, so as of right now, um, you know, the private path is what we're on. How do you think, last question I want to ask for both of you guys, Chad in the business context, Harlan for the science, how do you guys define value? What's, what's the value you want to deliver? Long, long-term here at Adaptive. You want to start? Yeah, I'll, I'll start because, frankly, uh, that value for me has changed over time tremendously. Um, you know, I, 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 I said at the beginning, hey, when I started this company, um, you know, I got a call from my brother and, you know, I, I figured we could make some money off him. When I realized that the impact that our technology could have on 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 patients' lives, um, our value is that we can impact clinical care in a scale that's never been done before. Um, this is the largest diagnostic opportunity in history. We can actually help patients, or doctors better diagnose patients on, on a routine basis. We can help how drugs are discovered and or develop our own therapies that could literally change medicine. And that is, I think, the val- the the massive underpinning value driver, that will also drive the financial opportunity. And this is 100% a double bottom line. So these aren't disconnected. The fact that we can have such an impact on medicine will also lead to a 
what we think is the largest addressable market opportunity in healthcare period. Uh, and so I think those those two things got, really are, 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 are symbiotic. You're talking about the immune checkup. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the immune checkup and I'm talking about designer therapeutics uh, for each patient. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, it's going to take you know, time, massive investment, um, patience. But I think we got the right team to do it. I think that we've got the right capital backing to do it. And I think we've created the right culture to do it. Uh, people here 100% believe, and this is what we recruit for, they believe that we are going to change medicine, how it's practiced, how drugs are discovered. Um, and it's extremely powerful. So what would you say, Harlan, in terms of value for the science? Yeah, so, I mean, one of the aspects that Chad's been talking about related to culture is, is you know, and we've tried to keep our scientific team um, with the freedom and excitement that comes with with actual scientific research, right? No one's given, the, the teams overall aren't given very specific direct goals like this is the product we need. Of course, we have product teams as well, but but we also have some some really nice science where where we're really trying to figure out the the immune system, right? And and we're in a position that 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 you would be unbelievable to get into. In you could never get there in academic space because we're putting resources to generate data at a scale and and quality. Um, that that can't be done, and and I mean I have a foot in both spaces, but but you you just you couldn't put the resources into generating data of the scale we're going to do. So we're going to have an insight into the adaptive immune system that 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 no one's ever been able to see before, and it's it's uh, it's pretty um, from the scientific. Um, direction. It's, 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 it's fairly extraordinary, right? We're, we're learning so fast on just questions that you didn't even, I mean, basic questions everybody's always wanted to answer to questions you didn't even think, didn't even know to ask. A hundred different autoimmune diseases out there that affect 20 million Americans, just for starters, we don't even know what causes them. Uh, yeah. That's one well, place to start. Yeah. And it's, an area we're actively going after for that for that very reason. Yeah, we don't know our our, our knowledge base about the immune system is 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 pretty pretty poor right now. And and but but because we've never had the tools to in, to interrogate it, and now we do. So we're very excited about about um, where this can go and and where it is going. Well, I happen to be a believer in tool-driven revolutions. Um, so uh, I very much look forward to seeing what you guys and the rest of the world goes forth and does with uh, these tools. Thanks, guys, for joining me on The Long Run. Thanks, Luke. It's great. Thank you, Luke. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Long Run, a production of Timmerman Report. Pedro Rosado of Headstepper Media was the producer and editor. Music comes from D.A. Wallach. See you next episode.